0: Welcome to football and put on uh, the <laughs>
1: That's,
0: That's not fucking going in. That is not fucking going in. Oh god. Oh fucking hell. I can't even Wait. speak anymore. Love <laughs> you. You said it was a bad week. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fucking terrible week. If I'm over the eight, I'm now a forty something and I can't I'm losing the ability to speak like <laughs>
1: Piss, pronouncing my worms.
0: yeah, very good, very good. (laughs) Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to Football Unfocused, the loosely football-based podcast that we censor spaff out on a weekly basis. Uh, I don't know why we bother. We talk nonsense, but uh, but we do it anyway because you know keeps us out of the streets. Um, And uh, it's produced by myself, Mark, and my. good friend and confidant, some might say <laughs> uh Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Uh,
1: hello. Hello, Mark. How are you? Very well,
0: thank you, Matthew. Yeah. Okay. Matthew, I have some questions for you. Um, when we, if, if ever we get uh, more Twitter followers or listeners, <laughs> uh, I might start knocking out question requests, see how intrigued the uh the, sort of the world is to find out more about you um, but until then I'm having to come up with this nonsense to ask you um, but just on that note remember to follow us on uh, F Unfocused that's F for football Unfocused we gained another Twitter follower this week that wasn't um, either of us the, uh, <laughs> the, the comedian Mark Silcox who um, if you've ever watched the, um, the Joe Lysic uh, cons- comedy consumer affairs program, Joe Lyce's got your back. He is Joe Lyce's kind of deadpan sidekick who does these, uh, these amazing pieces to camera without ever changing his facial expression or his tone of voice. He's absolutely amazing. And, uh, I was just, you know, following a load of random people on the uh, football unfocused, uh, account and he followed me back. I thought, wow, we, ma- we made it. We're in the mainstream.
1: I know, uh, I told Joe I said oh, I was Joe Lycett's, um sidekick She was like, Joe Lycett's following you I was like, no, 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 the sidekick And she was like, oh, I don't know who he is <laughs> Yeah
0: It's like the the, the Stuart Lee uh, 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 routine when he was talking about how you know, stand-up comedy announced at your local corn exchange or arts centre and they go, oh, it's him out of um, him out of Max and Paddy not P.A.K. Um, <laughs> <laughs> disappointment of it not being PK. and it's the same oh we've got Joe we've got Joe Lysett following us it's not actually Joe Lysett it's the guy off the Joe Lysett programme but in my opinion he is equally as funny and I'm very grateful for him following us and if we ever go on to be uh, international superstars which uh, we certainly will um, he will be uh, acknowledged and honoured as our first uh, high profile Twitter follower so thank you Mark Stilcox if 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 uh, following us on Twitter has led you stumble across this podcast, then you are very, you are even more welcome than uh, than the other losers who listen to this shit. <laughs>
1: um, We're very welcoming in that way.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm now going to go into the part of the podcast. But by the way, this is a new feature. Just you know, what was it they call it? Um, um, in uh, films, when you essentially explain the uh, the plot as you go, a Basil Expoli- exposition, isn't it, or something like that, where you you <laughs> essentially insert dialogue that explains what you're doing next oh, right. uh, because because the film doesn't have enough fl- like natural flow, <laughs> and the script isn't imaginative enough, and you're insulting to so the intelligence of your uh, your, your your viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, to actually work it out for themselves. So this is now the part of the podcast where I ask questions to my co-host in an amusing, hilarious uh, attempt to learn more about him. (laughs) Matthew, what was your favourite toy as a child? By child, let's say, under the age of 12. Uh...
1: What's this... Um... Super, super Soaker, they, that was quite... A su- so a water
0: pistol, essentially. I was going
1: to say a squirter, but I think that's something else that I enjoyed, but yeah, a Super yeah. Soaker. <laughs> probably, at a, probably at a later probably at A, a later stage. Super Squirter, I think it Which was. You
0: were a very uh, early <laughs> developer. Good. Matthew, do you have a favourite brand of trainers
1: that you tend to lean towards when making a purchase? Um, I like... Colourful ones. I know that sort of brand. Yes, you do.
0: Yeah. Isn't that more? Um, is that is that
1: because of your? I mean,
0: I use the word style in the 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 biggest chunkiest <laughs> Loosest. Commas, yeah, uh, commas, known to mankind. But is that yeah. because of your style or because of your uh, unfortunate case of um, you know poor quality eyesight means that it allows you to see your own feet? <laughs>
1: you've got yeah, shining
0: think- trainers. <laughs>
1: uh, t- Yeah, that is really interesting, and uh, I think there is definitely an element of that. So sometimes it's helpful to know how close I'm standing next to somebody by looking at my own feet. Mm. Which you (laughs) wouldn't be able to see
0: unless you were wearing bright red or bright luminous green trainers. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And then I realise, I'm like, oh, I'm sort of, you know, like Matt Hancock type of distance from somebody else.
0: Yeah. I am comfortably close.
1: <laughs> yeah. Matthew, what do you put on your toast? Um, I've got quite into biscoff. That biscoff yeah. spread
0: You and the rest you... of the wankers out there. And everyone—that's that, the thing now, isn't it? Everyone loves biscoff. Do you put? Is it biscoff straight on the bread, or do you put no, no, some sort of no. a butter substitute uh, barrier in between the No,
1: yeah, there. butter always.
0: Yeah, I'd always have a little bit of like flora, or if I'm feeling generous to myself and I, I think I deserve a treat, proper <laughs> butter.
1: When you when you say proper butter, do you mean like, do you have a block of it? You don't have a block of it. Yeah,
0: you? yeah, no, of course I do. I have two oh, blocks, no. solid and unsolied in the, in the fridge at all times for um, cooking.
1: Oh, cooking. I remember, I'll always remember when we went to Ibiza and um, and you cooked me and the other guy that was sleeping in the hotel room, a spag bowl, and yeah. we were just like, what the f- <laughs> And everyone else was going out getting lashed. You were like, Absolutely. no, no, no. Let's have a nice meal before we do that. Before
0: we do I think we even had a bottle of wine. We were certainly... <laughs> did we? Did I'm pretty we? sure we did. We went... Let, let, let no, sure. I, I don't believe say we in, did. In, in, in San Antonio in the year 2000, <laughs> in August, I would, I would say you could put a lot of money very safely on us being the only 18-year-old <laughs> uh, lads... Sitting in a self catered apartment where we, within view of a pool surrounded by, uh, hundreds of people of, our same age, uh, cooking and then in, in uh, sharing in a, uh, a, a home cooked spaghetti bottle. Mate. Uh, yeah. but it makes me very proud, Matthew. We then went out and had a great night. That's the thing. It wasn't one or the other. You know, we didn't, we didn't then go to bed. We, we were probably out till six in the morning. So don't make out that it was like spag bol no. and then slippers and watching <laughs> watching Casualty. You know.
1: No, I, mean, I would have done but
0: you just couldn't get it for love so. <laughs> Spanish telling. OK. That's the end of my questions for you Matthew. Oh, okay, we've cool. been recording this shit for 16 minutes and we haven't oh, well, football we've yet, got football
1: so. yet. We've already got 10 minutes left to football chat. Yeah, yeah. So Matthew
0: is there. I mean. I, I always ask this question. I don't know why I bother. But well, is there anything <laughs> that you've noticed no, let's, about let's football not. this week that you'd like to discuss before we move on to the things that I will be talking about?
1: Um, I noticed already. If read. the answer's no, just say no. Well, I'll just say it, and then you can move on if needs be. Go on, on. Then, then I can dismiss it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Go. On. Wayne Rooney was. Um, he's he's. Derby County have obviously looking like they're going to be deducted, or have been deducted 12 points. They have been, yeah, going into the administration. There. Yeah, yeah, and he said he wouldn't have been sure if he'd have taken the job, but now he's there, he's he's sticking with them. And um, I, I but the reason I mention that is because I saw I saw his face in this BBC Sport. I'd be like, oh, great, I need a bit of, you know, sort of gossip about how he's hanging out with um, other women. Um but yeah, it was actually yeah. just a straight up football story. So,
0: wow! So, your observation <laughs> on football—I mean, you've actually stumbled across quite an important story because that's, a, <laughs>
1: right. that's
0: a, a historic, a proud and historic uh, football club in this country. You are got a big fan base and a a big stadium that was newly built this century, and they're going into administration. They've got all sorts of problems, and they're managed by England's all-time record. International goal goalscorer um, who has, you know, retired relatively young, I guess, and gone into management. And you only read that story by accident because you were thinking, "Oh, there might be some t- t- tittle-tattle about his personal life." <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, that tells me
0: everything I need to know about you and your relationship with football and your your just your character. But but suffice to say, they have been deducted twelve points, which I think yeah. puts them. Would do points that have accumulated so far, but someone like about minus three or something. Minus or two, minus, I actually looked. Minus uh, two. Yeah, so they've actually had not a bad start um the of the season. But yeah, that's a tested role. And you can understand why, it's, to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily his biggest fan, Wayne Rooney, but respect to him. He's gone in there uh, and he has got, it probably doesn't get much more um, challenging than uh, if you're managing a football club and, you know, going to administration because there's a chance players will stop being paid and how hey, you keep people motivated. There'll probably have to be a fire sale, so all, all assets with any value, so all the best players will probably get sold on the cheap. And he's there, you know, trying to keep everything afloat. I mean, it'll be a great experience for him, but no one would choose that as their first uh, management role. So, yeah, nice one, Matt. I mean, you've you got there the worst of intentions but still you, you... well done <laughs> yeah. I want to talk uh, just to now segue into back to me uh, I want to talk about Jimmy Greaves and I want to talk about what that says That what I've noticed in the five days since Jimmy Greaves' sad death uh, what I've noticed in terms of the way it's been covered and how in my view it is symptomatic of a a kind of an attitude or a, a kind of thought process or an, an approach to, um, to football and people's relationship with football in the past. So Jimmy Greaves, I, so I was born in 1981, as we've alluded to. I've unfortunately become middle-aged this week and turned 40. Um, and uh, Jimmy Greaves was past his best kind of 10 years before I was even born. I never saw Jimmy Greaves play. And my awareness of Jimmy Greaves was, um, you know, when I got to the age of around nine or 10, just as a TV personality, I knew that he had a he was a distinctive character. He had a distinctive kind of delivery. And he had a, you know, he used to say, football's a funny old game. And he was kind of well known for that. And he had a good good banter with Ian St. John, the legend is Ian St. John on the telly. And that is essentially all I knew about him and then bear in mind that in 1992 um after ITV hosted the um European Championships in Sweden that was the end of their um the season in which they would the last broadcast live football in the top division enough that it, everything went to sky the world changed and uh, they were kind of became peripheral characters so they've gone from being like the, the kind of headline double acts on, on TV and kind of adored and known by everybody to, you know, off the screens as we moved on to the world of Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. Now, does that mean that I then can look at the passing of Jimmy Greaves and sort of shrug my shoulders and say, yeah, I didn't know him, didn't see him play football, didn't know a lot about him? Or does... So I guess the my point is that... There are a lot of people now who who claim that they're hugely into football and will be massively passionate about football, but have made kind of zero effort to understand anything about football. Certainly before nineteen ninety two, but actually even even um, you know I would say you know if you're say uh, twenty now and you were born in two thousand and one, you know you're not even you know even nineteen ninety two is kind of best part of a decade before you were born. You're probably even not really understanding that, but I do think it is a phenomenon that has become more pronounced in the, in the Premier League era. Now, when I was growing up, I was of the, first, I don't know whether it was actually instilled in me or whether it was something I kind of picked up on through kind of talk of greats of the past and, and just had a, had a, you know, an immediate fascination with that. But, I was always kind of of the opinion and very much still am now that you need to firstly, it benefits you and everybody else to know as much about any subject as possible. Matt, I realize here I'm talking to a former history teacher, so I I don't need to preach to you about the benefits of understanding history of any subjects. If there is, it's it's never a bad thing to learn about history, is it? Because it gives you, it gives you a, a lens through which to analyze, um, Kind of modern events and modern trends, it gives you the, the all important context. And what's the world? What's anything without context? So therefore, this the the kind of the get out of jail free card card that you never saw a player play football. Does that mean that you don't have a kind of? It, it almost is like because I feel so passionately about football. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, to say that it's a responsibility of anyone who like claims they love football to understand about the past, but. Because of the way I see, I can only speak from the way I see things, and I am probably much more kind of fundamentalist about this than most kind of people who are a bit more laid back about it would be. But I, I but, but, dare I say, but I, I genuinely think that you can't. So I've, I've got a lot of time for Michael Richards. I think he's one of the most engaging and genuinely intelligent and insightful pundits on TV. But this is not the first time this has happened, but I really noticed it. Um, when Jimmy Greaves passed last week and he was on the side of the pitch of White Hart Lane. The news had broken about three or four hours before they'd gone live and he knew not, he clearly knew nothing about Jimmy Greaves. Now, even if you t- just do a bit of Googling um, before, the, you know, before you know before you're know you going on live TV and you're going to be required to spend about half an hour talking about the great... You know, let's remember, this is, we are talking about the greatest goal scorer in English league football history and in a goals per game ratio, the greatest goal scorer in international football history for England. Right? So this is a a man of immense significance to the history of the game. One of the greatest players ever to put on an England shirt and the greatest goal scorer that the top division football in this country has ever seen. And he was... So you had Michael Richards, you had Roy Keane, you had and Graham um, Sunes. Uh, now even Graham Souness now is kind of um, pushing seventy, but but even he didn't see uh, a huge amount of Jimmy Greaves. He was because he, he was uh, rejected by Tottenham as a youngster. I think he ended up going to Middlesbrough, but he did spend time at Tottenham when Jimmy Greaves was still there. So he saw him a couple of times as this kind of legendary figure in training and all that, and. So he gave his insight from that perspective, but also clearly having kind of grown up and seen and heard all about him, just gave some you know really good insight and some and some kind of context and some appreciation of his achievements. Roy Keane spoke more about growing up and having acknowledged him and loved him as a kind of TV personality and that then leading him to understand more about what he was as a player. And Micah Richards just kind of stood there looking a bit blank, and lost for words and sort of said, you know, what modern player would you compare him to? And it's this idea, it's not meant to have a pop at Michael Richards, but it's this idea that you can't... Are we to believe now that if you're under the age of, like, 35, that you can't understand anything about something that happened before you were born unless you can give it a direct comparison to something that's in HD right in front of your face or that you can click on 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 YouTube? And I just find that quite depressing... um, outlook because it will lead to a for for a start a complete wasting of you know about a hundred years of amazing resources of history and you can look at that i know that look i know that not all football um uh history and moments in football history and coverage of football history are available um in the same way that they they would be now you know a lot of it wasn't kind of live screen so you're looking at like snippets here and all that sort of stuff but there's still someone like Jimmy Greaves he played almost all his football in the 1960s right so that was a time when there was still a lot of live football there's loads and loads of coverage of Jimmy Greaves there's an amazing amazing BT Sport documentary that came out last year about him and just just look at that you know the the goals that that man was scoring the close control the the finishing the way in which the effortless way in which that man was able to finish you know rarely needing to blast the ball kind of having that much confidence in his aim that he was just caressing the ball into the back of the net knowing it would be it was so the direction of his sh- shooting was so perfect that the goalkeeper's not going to get to it amazing and even when I this is the thing this is what I don't really understand because when I was growing up and starting to play football in like the late 1980s people would still like you would often hear people saying oh that's a like a Jimmy Greaves like finish and I remember when Robbie Fowler was getting into the Liverpool team in the early 1990s people say he is the best uh, most naturally gifted finisher that we've seen since Jimmy Greaves so when people were able to kind of contextualise and, and look back sort of by then it would have been like you know 20 odd years since Jimmy Greaves had played a, a top flight game but he was still very much a figure that was used as a as a reference point and a high watermark. Why can't I don't know? Why can't a lot of the people making that point at that stage of that comparison wouldn't necessarily have been in their prime when Jimmy Greaves was was scoring over three hundred top flight goals? So they might not necessarily have kind of seen him at his best, and yet they still understood him. They still appreciated him. They still had knowledge of him. When I, you know, when I was growing up. I was obsessed with uh, videos. So, I had, I, there were certain football videos that I, I would watch as a kid, particularly during the summer holidays, again and again and again. One of them was um, all about, so this would have been in about 1992. But there was a video called Liverpool in Europe, and it was all about the history of Liverpool's participation in European competition from the very first um, um, season in which they qualified in the early 1960s and the away game in Reykjavik right up to the present day where they just played uh, a game against a Finnish team. In the, it was the first season back after the high the, the Heysel ban of all English clubs and Liverpool had an, an extra year. And a load of that was, you know, footage, highlight snippets, goals, of stuff that was way before I was born. It was from the, up at that point, the four European Cups, uh, that Liverpool won. And I was absolutely spellbound by it and obsessed by it. And I knew as a result of that, I ended up knowing as much about the players from the 1960s and the 1970s as I did about the team that were playing up, up, up to the present day. And, and and that was when I would have been like nine, ten years old, even eight. Similarly, I had videos about previous World Cups, one in particular focusing on the Brazil team in 1970 with Pelé and Jairzinho and Carlos Alberto. And... I, as a result, felt as familiar with them as I would have done the next World Cup that I'd watch, which, you know, would have been... Well, the first World Cup I remember is 1990 and then, and then 1994, which mean, means that then when you see Brazil win the World Cup in 1994 at the end of the first year of secondary school at the age of 12, you appreciate it more because you're aware of the context that the most successful football nation on earth, international football nation on earth, had gone 24 years without winning the World Cup, when prior to that they'd won something like three out of four competitions between 1958 and 1970. So you realise that's a massive deal, and you can't understand that achievement, and you can't contextualise that achievement, unless you know a bit about football history, and you know about the players who have come before. So when you hear about that Brazil team being described as you know, slightly more conservative and un-Brazilian, how do you understand what that means unless you know what the Brazilian teams were like in the past, unless you are aware that many people, respected football uh, kind of journalists and writers and thinkers would say that the 1982 Brazil team that didn't even win the World Cup is potentially the greatest team they ever produced, playing amazing, scintillating, attacking, no-holds-barred football. and They just got, you know, they they lost out in a thrilling end-to-end match against Italy. Regarded in itself as one of the, the best games ever in the World, world Cup finals, and Paolo Rossi scored a hat trick. So, the, so that's the point I'm making. It's not that everybody should stop and watch a documentary and and read all the career statistics and all the anecdotes about Jimmy Greaves. I mean, yeah, I would love to live in a world where, where people would would do that. Um, you know, just put down your Paul Pogba Instagram for a second and just yeah <laughs>
1: Football Unfocused Twitter. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave yeah. that for a moment.
0: Yeah, but but you know, I do think, I, I, I genuinely think it's important. I think that it's easier then to genuinely understand football, to understand, to contextualise achievement. To, you know, what again, one of the nice things that has happened as a result of uh, Jimmy Greaves' death, is that they started then putting up um, statistics of the top scorers of all time in the English top flight, rather than this obsession with only ever focusing on the Premier League era. And the idea that Alan Shearer, having scored 260-odd goals, is the top scorer in English top flight history is is nonsense. Jimmy Greaves scored, like, pretty much 100 more goals than him. But because we're living in this kind of rebranded, you know, uh, history started in 1992 era we don't we don't appreciate that enough but I, I, I suppose i can understand it the only way in which i can understand it is that there is no doubt but i think pre-war football was different particularly in the early part of the 20th century you know even you know rules uh, were quite radically different because the game was still evolving and the game was still in its relatively early stages, the first 30, 40 years of sort of, you know, the professional setup um, So when you have someone like, I think Steve Bloomer is the second on the list. I should have, I mean, if we were professional, I'd have that list in front of me. But Steve Bloomer, <laughs> I think um uh, a legend, a Derby County uh, legend. I, I, my understanding is they still play a song about him before every game. Now, he played... He scored the majority of his goals in the, the early 20th century, you know, and he's second on the list of all-time um, goal scorers in the in the top flight. Now, I don't want to undermine that achievement, but I do, if you want a kind of line in the sand moment, you could potentially use the Second World War as a bit of a barrier and say, OK, well, this is the, the kind of early stages of the television era, um, the formation of, like, the European competitions was not long after that, and all that sort of stuff. So if you want to, you know how people in, like, tennis and golf will talk about, like, the open era, well, particularly tennis, they'll say, so, like, people who won, um, like Rod Laver, for example, is one, who had won Wimbledon more than anybody else, and then they'll say, yeah, but he only won a couple of them in the at the very beginning stages of the the open era, when you had then four established major competitions, and they kind of they they almost disregard the, the the sort of multiple winners from, from pre, pre that that uh, the introduction of the of the majors so football does i think have a bit of an issue with that because football is is a game that of course you get trends and you get changes and you know everything becomes more modern pitches are better fitness is better Diet is better nutrition knowledge of how to look after the body preparation all of those things are better but it doesn't mean the football is necessarily better it is still 11 men against 11 men with a ball oh women sorry yeah but it, it, another thing that winds me up about it is that um, you get um, people who will I think because they don't they haven't made the effort to properly understand kind of you know pre-sky sports football. <laughs> That that they they mean they almost dismiss achievements because they'll say, "Well, that was in the days when." Like I've heard, for example, people say it was easier to score when Jimmy Greaves was playing. Well, actually, bullshit. Look at that properly. Look at the statistics. Look at the average goals per game, average goals per season, etc. All through the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, you'll see trends and kind of you know waves of yet. Yeah, dominance of defences, dominance of attacking in exactly the same way that you get now. I would always argue it is much more difficult to score previously because you're playing on pitches that were favoring the more destructive defensive players. who wanted to stop you because they uh, inhibited flare players who relied on ball control and quick skills because they were mud. A lot of them were mud baths, massive bobbles and holes and, you know, to be able to glide across that effortlessly and keep the ball under perfect control, you've got to be one hell of a you've got to be a serious player to be able to do that. Jimmy Greaves was somebody who was renowned for doing that. Um, so, you know, the ball itself, the actual football, was like a rock. It was you know um, still had you know uh, laces in it and would absorb water. So on a wet winter's day, it would get heavier and more. Difficult to to play to play with to control to to strike hard and to head. Why do you think so many players from the past are now suffering with uh, dementia? You know, there's clearly a, a, a big problem there. With I'm hoping very much that it's going to that as the, as the years progress, they they will find and be able to prove that the modern football is less damaging and doesn't have the same impact, and therefore we won't have to have a fundamental change to the game, but. You only have to see that, you know, now children are limiting the amount that they're allowed to head it in their development, in training and all that sort of stuff. Um, So all of these things and the rules of the game were much more favoured towards the, the destructive players and defenders. So you were allowed to, you know, you were essentially at the beginning of every game given a free pass. You could smack the crap out of someone, come right through the back of them, you know, rake your studs down their Achilles. So real proper violence and intimidation going on in the pitch. So again, players are now protected. They're playing on carpet-like pitches. And the kind of whole setup and the rules are designed to encourage attacking, flowing football. When you actually factor all of that in, you can make a case that the, the, the high achievers from the past were actually even better than what they are now, rather than this kind of lazy analysis of people just all, like dismissing it and saying that they were worse. Um, so, yeah, so that's been my bugbear this week. And just pause one sec. Co okay, is that? No man to borrow money. That was weird. Is <laughs> that his car, son? Like, he's probably like, just driving off there. No. <laughs> <laughs> £8 pounds as well, so specific. <laughs> so, so yeah, that 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 kind of concludes my my rambling argument slash, you know, moan really just about how it it's just really important if you want to appreciate this amazing sport and you want to enjoy it, then I think that enjoyment is way more enriched if you understand what came before the, the present day. Uh, and exactly the same way, you can't fully appreciate. Insert name of modern band uh, unless you've uh, listened to, uh, you know, the White Album or Rubber Soul. Kaiser so there the you go. Cheese.
1: Hmm? Kaiser Chiefs.
0: Yeah, the yeah, the, the <laughs> Kaiser Chiefs, all, all the greats. Yeah, Kaiser Chiefs, Hard-Fi. Uh, uh, the um, uh, who are those ones who did Chelsea Dagger? Those fucking clowns. the Fratellis, That's it. Yeah, <laughs> fucking, the Pigeon Detectives. Yeah. What I've done there is just rattled off some... Uh, there was a real proliferation of kind of uh, medium quality indie bands in the early 2000s between about... It was kind of like the post, post-Strokes post and Libertines era and then and then Franz Ferdinand came along and then there, there followed some some real middle-of-the-road shit. A little bit like a mini version of Britpop. Because in Britpop you had like, obviously, the good stuff, Blur Oasis, Suede, Pulp, etc., uh, Supergrass, and then some real crud um and yeah there was a lot of that in the early 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 2000s so we're on top of all the subjects here Matthew it's not just music we can give you know sorry it's not just football we can give musical uh, critique yeah. as well and I think maybe we should we should move into that good I'd love to talk uh, more about how uh, how Thomas Tuchel's overwhelming success at Chelsea and uh looking at how he's essentially been in charge now for approaching a year, or it'll be a year be in January, and his performance in charge has been an unmitigated success. Amazing. Almost to an unprecedented scale. And I'd like to just draw up, I might, I might do this for next week if I can be bothered, just draw up some uh, analysis from pundits who uh, theoretically know the game, when they were all rallying around their their, their big chum Frank La- Frank Lampard when he was uh, fired in January and saying how Chelsea would regret it and they're losing their soul and they they've not given Frank enough time and with exactly the same group of players Thomas Tuchel has turned a team who were about ninth in the table into like a, a bastion of invincibility. So uh, <laughs> we could maybe talk about that last week, although I have essentially summed up my point just then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know,